0: He is greater than, amen? Good morning, church. How's everybody? Good to see so many of you here today on this, I was told, the last day of winter. So, hey, there is light at the end of the tunnel and we are charging toward it, amen? Um, We are continuing this morning um, our greater than series where we're walking through the book of Colossians together. Um, Jesus being greater than is the overarching message uh, of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And it's his message to us here at Tapestry this morning. Uh, Paul is, as we have talked about, confronting what has come to be known as the Colossian conflict or also the Colossian heresy. False teachers had infiltrated the church and were leading less mature believers astray, and Paul is responding to that. Uh, They were promoting additional and alternative paths to God that included Jesus but rendered His work on the cross as insufficient. So Paul writes this letter to confront and expose these false teachings in the church. You say, Phil, man, we kind of talk about this a lot around here. I mean, as we walk verse by verse through the letters of the Apostle Paul, he's consistently confronting false gospels and false teaching in the church. And, and, and so, therefore, as we walk through the New Testament, we're consistently dealing with this. And you might say, Phil, I mean, what's the big deal today? I mean, why do we talk so much about this? Why don't we just live and let live? And, and if they want to believe that, just let them believe it. Just get the bumper sticker and it coexist. Why do we talk so much about this? If they believe there are many paths to God that Jesus isn't the only way, so what? Just let them believe it. Well, if indeed, as followers of Christ, Jesus is the only way, and we believe that. We believe His words in John fourteen six, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through what? Me. There's an exclusive path. Jesus Himself stated it and reiterated it throughout the Gospels. If indeed He was crucified on a cross for our sins and raised again to conquer death itself. If He is our only path to peace with God and we as the church are the ones entrusted with that truth How can we in good conscience coexist with a lie? How can we stand idle? And that's what Paul is saying to the Colossian church. How can we stand idle as others step into our midst promoting different paths to God and challenging the core truth of the gospel challenging the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. Yet so many do stand idle as an avalanche of different gospels permeate the church today. In particular, the gospel of inclusion. Anybody familiar with the Gospel of inclusion? Man, it is, it's all around us today. It's in the news um, right now, right in front of us. And it essentially means that regardless of one's willingness to acknowledge their sin, thus their need for a Savior, they're still on the right path to God. The gospel of inclusion is a lie that is cloaked in love. Do you hear me? That's why it's so confusing for the church. It's a partial truth, but it's a lie that is cloaked in love. And that's why it creates so much confusion and why we're so hesitant as followers of Christ today to push back on it because we don't want to seem intolerant. We don't want to seem unloving. But think about it. Jesus came here for one reason— and one reason only, the sins of men. Think about it. It's that simple. God sent His Son to this earth for one reason and one reason only, and that is the sins of men. Nothing else separates us from God. Nothing else stands in the way of an eternal life in the presence of God. Jesus died for that singular purpose, the sins of men. And so to redact sin from the gospel because we don't want to offend anybody is to remove it, to remove from the gospel the very reason for the gospel. The primary prerequisite to surrendering your life to Christ is that you are offended by your sin. Did you know that the primary prerequisite to surrendering your life to Christ, to coming to salvation is that you are offended by your sin. The Bible calls that conviction. It's a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance, to a change of direction from living for self to living for God. And without it, there is no salvation. So, ironically, in our great attempt not to offend, we discourage people from the one path that leads to God. Are you with me? Being offended by your sin is the prerequisite to getting in. Eliminate that, and you have a gospel of inclusion which is no gospel at all. I'm okay. You're okay. When the truth is, none of us are okay. And that's the only reason Jesus came. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, and we'll pick up there this morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, just turn with me to Colossians 2, chapter 8. If you're listening on the live stream, there's a Bible right there on the platform that you can go to this passage. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, the sympathies of man, and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. What's Paul saying? He's saying, man, we need to be in tune with what's going on in the culture around us, but we don't need to play along with it. Anything that diminishes the authority, the sufficiency, or the supremacy of Jesus rises not from the heart of God, but from the heads of men. That's what Paul is saying here. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you feel that tension today? The tension of the gospel of inclusion? Salvation without acknowledging a need for it. Think about that. The question is, how do we as the church respond to it? Because it's all around us right now. And that's exactly where Paul goes in his letter to the Colossian church he turns the spotlight from Jesus remember he opens this letter with this beautiful picture of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus he is the image of the invisible God and he goes on and he says this is the authentic Christ this is who we worship this is who we surrender our lives to and then last week we talked about Paul turning the spotlight onto to himself And he said, I am. Look at me. This is what an authentic servant of Jesus Christ looks like. And now he turns that light onto us. The church of Jesus Christ. Individual believers in the church. And he tells us how to respond to the onslaught of false gospels surrounding us what to do when the truth of the gospel is being salted. He says this, and he's speaking to me and he's speaking to you this morning. He says, so then, Jesus is supreme, Jesus is sufficient. This is what a servant of Jesus authentically looks like. And he says, so then, now you, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live in Him. How did you receive Christ? Think about that. He says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Not bitterness, not anger, but overflowing with thankfulness. Paul tells these young believers to remember when and how they came to Christ. And I want to challenge you to remember that this morning. And to keep living that way. In other words, he says, if you're going to stand up against this onslaught, you have to live a surrendered life. You have to live a surrendered life. He says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, just as you surrendered acknowledging your sin to the Lordship of Jesus Christ when your sin was forgiven, he says, continue to do that. Paul said, I die daily. Continue to do that. Continue to live in Him. Let me ask you something this morning. Are you living in Him. Are you living? Is Christ a present reality in your life? Or is that transaction just something that happened in the past? Man, as I reflect back on my, my own experience receiving Christ, and, and I know that it's more the exception than the rule um, I had a just a Pauline, Damascus Road kind of an experience when, when I accepted Christ. I, I'd never been to church before. I was 26 years old. I'd never opened a Bible before. I just had no idea, no context whatsoever, and that's why I know it's so real because I, I didn't even have enough information to manufacture something in my own head. And I can remember that Sunday Kim took me to this little mission church right here in Roswell 30 years ago. I heard the gospel for the first time. I went into church and I heard music similar to what we were worshiping to this morning. And I was like, man, that's pretty cool. Because I don't know what a hymnal was. Oh, they play that in church. That's great. And then I heard the gospel preached. And my eyes were opened. I went to the pastor's office that very Sunday right after the service And I can remember vividly the weight of my sin just weighing down on me physically. And I hit my knees in a flood of tears in that pastor's office 30 years ago. And I surrendered my life to Christ. And I remember the sensation of acknowledging my sin for the first time, which was significant. And I remember the sensation of feeling that burden lift. And I'll never forget it. And from that day forward, my life was changed. I mean, on a dime. I've not lived perfectly since, and none of us will. But man, when I read these words of Paul, he says, Just as you received Christ Jesus, I'm always taken back to that moment. And the reality of the transaction that occurred in my heart that day. The exchange, literally, of my sin for his righteousness. And have you experienced that? Maybe not as dramatically as I did. Not everybody goes through that. But have you experienced that it is so important for every follower of Jesus Christ to understand? What happened at that transaction? What Jesus accomplished for you on the cross in the identity in Him you now have. The old has passed away. The new has come. And in Christ we are new creations. Paul goes on in verse 9 to say this. He says, For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God lives in Christ in bodily form, the incarnation. God with us. And he says, and you have been given that fullness in Christ. You've been given absolutely everything you need. You don't need to reach for anything else. You don't need to look for anything else. That's when we become vulnerable. That's when the, the, those in the church become vulnerable. When, when, when to them Christ is not enough, so they're constantly looking for something else. He says, you've been given fullness in Christ, who is the head, listen, over every power, everything, and authority. Man, if you're like me, there are areas of your life that you need to re-surrender over and over again. Areas that you may have taken back, truths that you used to believe, but you now question or no longer live. And failure to live a surrendered life keeps us in the shadows of our faith. I die daily. Continue to live in Him. When we don't do that, that voice inside our head says this when we encounter a teaching or encounter a teacher that, you know, it kind of puts a check in our spirit. We're like, I'm not sure that's true. But if we're not living surrendered lives, we say, man, who am I to stand up for this truth if I'm not living it out myself? So we say nothing and we do nothing as evil advances and even snuggles up next to us in the pews. It's happening in churches all over this country. Paul says, Living a surrendered life to Christ gives you the clarity, the courage, and the authority to stand against that which is not true. Because it's not you. It's Him standing against it through you. Standing against that which in any way diminishes the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus. He says, Church, if you want to stand up, you got to go deeper and you got to get stronger. Do you hear me? You got to go deeper and you got to get stronger you got to make your pursuit of Jesus and the truth of God's Word an absolute priority in your life. If you want to spot the counterfeit, you got to get to know the original. Jesus said in John 15, He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me, stays connected to me, and I in him, he says, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from, he is greater than. He is above all. Apart from him, we're lost. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And we've got to go deeper. Church, we've got to go deeper. We've got to get stronger. We've got to know what we believe, and we've got to know why we believe it. Paul says you've got to be rooted, rooted. Continue to go deeper. Continue to get stronger. So you can be built up in Him, strengthened in the faith. Get stronger as you were taught. Let me ask you something this morning, church. Are you going deeper? Are you going deeper? Are you getting stronger? Or are you satisfied on the surface? For 2,000 years, the church has been threatened by false teachers and false gospels. And that's why we talk about it so much, because Paul talked about it. And it hasn't gone away. Teachers trying to add something to or take something away from the sufficiency of the cross. And for 2,000 years, those willing to go deeper and get stronger have been the anchor while those on the surface get swept away with the winds of change. It's happening all around us. Things are changing at an unprecedented pace today. But Jesus remains the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. As does the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel never goes out of date. (laughs) It never goes out of style. Because the core problem of mankind, my problem, your problem, never changes. There was a group in the Colossian church, a group of false teachers known as the Judaizers. They were a group of Christians who still followed Jewish law. And they insisted that Gentile believers who gave their lives to Christ do the same, follow the law to the letter, even to the point of demanding that Gentile men, adult men, be circumcised when they came to faith in Christ in order to complete the transaction. And without it, their faith in Christ was not sufficient for salvation. You talk about a barrier to faith. So Paul pushes back on this group, in particular here in Colossians. And he says, go deeper church, get stronger church, understand what Jesus did for you on the cross. That's the context of his language here in verse 11 and 12. He says, in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised, speaking to the Gentiles. In the putting off of the sinful nature, the flesh. Other translations literally translate sinful nature as flesh. He says, In the putting off of the flesh, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God, who raised Him from the dead. Paul says you no longer have to physically cut the flesh away. That practice, that law, he said, was just a shadow of the reality to come. A shadow of what Jesus does spiritually when He comes into your life, separating you from the controlling influence of the flesh, the controlling influence of sin. He gives you the power to become a new creation and to live a new life in Him. He says you can't do it in your own effort. Don't try to add to the sufficiency of what Christ has accomplished for you on the cross by doing something in your own effort and trying to earn yourself into the good graces of God or to make up for something that you've done in your past. Jesus has already taken care of that. That's what Paul is telling us here. Don't let anybody lead you down that path of self-effort. You've been set free. We just sang about it. You have been set free from guilt and shame. And that's all that legalism does for you. It motivates you to be good out of guilt and shame. But Jesus has already paid the price for your guilt and shame on the cross. We just step into Him and we allow Him to live through us. Paul says, go deeper, church. Get stronger. Know and understand who you are and what you have in Christ. And then you'll be better able to sniff these rascals out. Study the original. If you want to see the counterfeit clearly, if you want to stay on the right path and help others do the same, live a surrendered life, go deeper, get stronger, and finally, Paul says, be thankful. Be thankful, have a grateful heart. He says, so then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live in Him. Continue to live a surrendered, grace-filled life rooted and built up in Him. Go deeper, get stronger, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. Are you a thankful person? Are you a thankful person? And I tell you, in our culture today, it is so easy to become blind to your own blessings. Anybody notice that? Especially around, we're just covered up with stuff. Covered up with blessing. And when you go to third world countries and when you travel the world, man, you get a picture of the fact that we're just swimming in it over here. And because of that, so often, we end up taking those blessings for granted. Some of the least thankful people in the world I've discovered have the most. Some of the most thankful people I've ever met in my life are laying on dirt floors in huts in Haiti and Guatemala. It's amazing to, to, to see the difference as far as what we take for granted and what they consider to be a blessing. Just a roof over their head. Thankful people are content people. Hear me, Paul talked about this in Philippians. Thankful people are content people. Not complacent people, not just sitting back on their laurels, but content people. Thankful people aren't always looking for the next shiny thing. False teachers play on that. Thankfulness grounds you. That's what Paul is saying to the church. It's essential to a mature and a well-developed faith to truly have a grateful heart. And one of the greatest heresies of our generation is the prosperity gospel. How many of you are familiar with the prosperity gospel? How many of you know how to spot it? It's tricky. It's based on half-truths that are false truths and, and and clothed and cloaked in deception. The prosperity gospel, and I want to challenge you guys to dig into this to identify it. It's all around us still. Is the false teaching that God has promised financial wealth, promised financial wealth, prosperity, and unfailing health to every follower of Jesus Christ? I have yet to meet a follower of Christ in my lifetime that didn't ultimately die of something. It kind of shoots a hole in that whole you know health and wealth name it and claim it kind of thing. They're the ones that are, you know, having you send money to get prayer rags, uh, little bottles of water, that kind of thing that that are going to cure your ailments and and solve all your problems and, and, and essentially playing on the poor, playing on the vulnerable, and playing on those who want to get rich quick. Typically, there's only one person getting rich in that scenario. And it's not the folks who are giving their last dime. Permeating false gospel in our culture today. Understanding and being thankful for who you are and what you have in Christ guards you against the lure of shiny thing theology, which is what that is. Paul told the Philippians, there is great godliness in what? Contentment. There is great godliness in contentment. In knowing you have all you need in Christ alone. You don't need to look any further. Just live a surrendered life. Go deeper, get stronger, and be thankful that, as Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 2, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. That is the gospel. Jesus is greater than. He is greater than any other path. He alone is the way. And if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, and you're feeling the weight of your sin this morning, just as I did 30 years ago. And I want to invite you to receive Him, to receive His forgiveness, to receive what only He can bring into your life, and that is a complete freedom from the sin that has been controlling your life and a forgiveness that reconciles you into a relationship with God the Father for all eternity. The Bible says that nothing can snatch you from His hand. Your salvation is secure in Christ. You did nothing to earn it, and you'll do nothing to keep it. And if that's you this morning, let me encourage you to receive Jesus and all that comes with Him. Or maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you just need to go deeper, (laughs) and you need to get stronger. You need to surrender your life or a specific area of your life to Him today, afresh and anew. Let me encourage you to do that this morning as we bow our heads together. Father, we thank You that... Lord, you know our deepest need. Father, and you sent Jesus to meet our deepest need. Lord, and you are our deepest need. Father, I pray today as we acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. Father, those who may be present with us here or may be within the sound of my voice, Lord, who haven't surrendered their life to Christ, who is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only path back to you, Father, I pray right now that you would begin to open their hearts to a receptiveness to your Holy Spirit, that conviction would reign even in this moment, a godly sorrow for sin, Father, which is the prerequisite to salvation. Lord, I pray that you would push through pride, push through any resistance to the truth of the gospel. Lord Jesus, you would enter those lives, those hearts right now, and make new creations. Lord, your gospel is still alive. It's still alive powerful it's still changing lives and it is the only path we have to God the Father and Lord for those of us who need to examine our lives and just go a little bit deeper get a little bit stronger or look at an area in our lives that we've taken back and that we refuse to surrender to you I pray Oh, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the capacity and the power this morning to resurrender afresh and anew our lives fully to you. And I pray that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.